There's a residential community in Nashville, Tennessee called Magdalene. And it's for women who've experienced and survived prostitution, addiction, and sex trafficking. It was founded in 1997 by an Episcopal priest and chaplain at Vanderbilt University, Becca Stevens. At any given time, about 30 women live in the community at Magdalen. They range in age from 20 to 50 years old, and the average time each of them is spent in prostitution is about 10 years. In many ways, before coming to Magdalen, their lives have been owned by others. Anything they've received has come at a cost, a very big cost. But at Magdalene, they receive housing, food, medical and dental care, therapy and counseling, education and job training. There's a program that matches the money that a resident saves dollar for dollar. And for residents who are still clean two years after graduation, there's a home buying program. About 60 residents and graduates are employed by Thistle Farms, a social enterprise of Magdalene that manufactures and sells natural bath and body products. 72% of the residents remain clean and sober after two and a half years of the program. There's no doubt that the Holy Spirit is at work in Magdalene. Jay McDaniel recently wrote an article about Magdalene and Thistle Farms, and he describes the work of the Holy Spirit this way. He describes it as helping people and whole communities grow from bondage to freedom, from despair to hope, from self-hatred to self-love, from callousness to care, from stagnation to vitality. It is God being God in the world. When watching one of the videos in Jay's article, I was struck by something that Gwen, an employee at Thistle Farm, said of her time in Magdalene. She said they were giving me a place to stay for two years, medical, dental, therapy, counseling job. You know, what do they want from me? And actually it was just for me to better myself and be a productive member of society. Magdalene was helping her become free from the life of bondage in which she was living. But sometimes accepting grace, it's accepting that something good can come to us as a gift. Sometimes that's just a difficult thing to wrap our minds around. A free gift of love is not what we're used to. In a different way and perhaps on a different scale, we see this in today's epistle reading from Galatians. This passage has often been understood and used in ways that I think stretch the bounds of good theology. So let's take a look at it this morning in its own context. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. Now, the word translated disciplinarian refers to a slave who took care of the children in wealthy Greek and Roman families and took care of the children until they became adults. So the word Paul uses implies that the Mosaic law is transitory. Many of us might be somewhat uncomfortable with such a supersessionistic view, a view that understands the relationship we have with Jesus to replace any need for the Mosaic law. On first glance at this passage, it appears that the coming of Jesus has erased the law completely. 
erase the place of Judaism altogether. Now, I don't always agree with the rhetoric Paul uses to make his point. But I do think understanding the situation in which Paul is writing may give us some insight into what he's trying to do here. The Galatian Christians are Gentiles, and they've been taught by Christian missionaries who are Jewish that in order to follow Jesus, these Gentiles must also follow the law, including circumcision. This teaching was the exact opposite of what Paul had taught them, because Paul believes, and in Acts the early church leaders agree with him, that faith in Jesus does not require adherence to the law for those who are not Jewish. In other words, for Paul, becoming Christian doesn't mean that those who are not Jewish have to assume the marks of a Jewish identity. In the few verses from Galatians that our lectionary skips over today, Paul goes on to say that in Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. What is beautiful about this is that in a world where opposites reign supreme, male, female, circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, saved, unsaved, Jesus didn't come to pull us over to the right or correct side of those divides and make us all the same. Instead, he broke down the walls that divide us. He made us one without erasing our diversity. He brought us a whole new way of seeing the world, a way of grace and freedom. That is ultimately what Paul is trying to get at, whether we agree with the way he goes about it or not. Putting this reading from Galatians in its full context makes a difference in how we understand it. The truth is that the law was always meant to be a means of grace, never a means of slavery. If you remember when the Israelites received the law, they've been rescued from Egypt, but they don't yet know what's expected of them. And not knowing what their future holds or who exactly it is that they're supposed to be, the Israelites start longing for their captivity all over again. They start to see Egypt as not so bad a place after all. At least in Egypt we had plenty to eat. We knew what our days held. We knew our place and our lives, the Israelites say with nostalgia. Without another tangible vision in place, they start to long for the security of the only life they've known, even if it's one of slavery. So God gives them some structure. God gives them the law. Here is your identity, God says. This is the community you were liberated to be. This is how you become the people God intends for you to be. This is how you become free to love your God and to love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments and the other laws in the Hebrew Bible weren't random rules designed to stifle the Israelites. The point is that until God shows them the people they can be, they will inevitably long for the life they had in Egypt. They will inevitably slip back into slavery, even if only in their minds. So God gives the Israelites a vision of how to live outside the slavery they've always known. It's actually the source of their freedom, not their imprisonment. The law was always meant to be a means of grace, of liberation, and of love, just as the coming of Christ was and is meant to free us all these centuries later. Both Israel in the wilderness and the church in Galatia, they were both trying to figure out the answer to the very same questions. What does it mean to be children of God? How does that look? For the Israelites, the answer was a law that taught them how to live in love. 
For the Gentiles in Galatia, it was faith in Jesus and the transformation of life that faith can bring. But the truth is that both the Israelites and the Galatians had trouble believing that their identity as children of God was a gift. Over time, Israel would focus so much on getting all the sacrificial rites and detailed laws just right that the prophets would come and remind them to focus instead on their relationship with one another and with God, on justice and righteousness. And in a similar way, many years later, not believing that a relationship with Jesus was good enough, the Galatians wanted to earn their place as children of God by adding requirements, namely the requirement of circumcision. The truth is that whenever God meets us with grace, in whatever way, in whatever time, in whatever place God makes known to us that we are children of God, human beings typically have a hard time accepting that identity as the gracious gift that it is. We think we have to earn it. And so we take what is meant to be a gift that leads to freedom and make it instead into something we have to achieve. And therefore we make it into something that becomes a source of bondage and despair. From working and volunteering until we're exhausted, to feeling guilty when our prayer life isn't what we think it should be, to comparing ourselves with others to see where we line up when it comes to goodness, just think of the ways we sometimes put a price tag on being children of God. Just think of the ways consciously or subconsciously that we expect something from others for the love and kindness we show to them. Like the Israelites and the Galatians, we too tend to take grace and make it into something we have to earn, whether that grace is the Jewish law, the love of family and friends, our own worth, or the word made flesh. Like former Magdalene resident Gwen, our first impulse is to think that it must come with a cost, that it must be a transaction that we earn in some way. But then each year at Christmas, a baby is born in a stable during a time of imperial oppression, chaos, and tumult, a time that always resonates with our own world. And we're reminded that God's coming to us isn't something we can earn. God always comes to us before we come to God. That's the message of Christmas. God's love has no limits or price tags. It is a gift. And because it is a gift, our response is simply to give thanks and then to share it.